Hello there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 584 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We are coming to you on Monday, January 22nd, and unfortunately, Jason's not here. Jason leaves for Antarctica, and he's probably somewhere in the Drake Passage right now, but while he was doing that, Pitt came to town, and Pitt took a lot, took a win from Cameron against the Blue Devils, 80-76, the final score. Of course, I cannot do this. I am Donald Wine. I am your host for this episode. I cannot do this recap by myself. So we welcome back the man, the myth, the legend. He is Sam Klein. Sam, welcome home, man. Uh, great to be here. What's up? Uh, uh, you were uh, at the game? I, I, you were at the game the other day? How was it? I was going to say, I, I almost forgot what you looked like. No, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I was... <laughs> I was uh, I was down at Duke uh, this weekend for the game. Uh, got got tickets from a from a friend of mine, and uh, which was great. Other than the fact that Duke lost, um, mm-hmm. got to got to take my girlfriend to her first uh, her first college basketball game. So uh, that was quite an experience uh, for her. She was like, "It's very loud." Uh, that was. That's the main. It's and and she also described it as electric, and I was like, "That's that's a good that's a good descriptor." I would say that the uh, the 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 crowd and the atmosphere in Cameron was electric. The the play on the court for Duke, not so much. Yeah, uh, we'll get into that. Obviously, this is we'll recap Pitt. We're also going to later on preview uh, Louisville because that game is coming up tomorrow on Tuesday. So uh, you know, very quick turnaround. Not not necessarily the Saturday Monday turnaround, but fairly quick. You want to get nervous about. Uh, about Duke looking rusty in in any in any game, uh, we we will get to talking about poor Louisville. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but before we do that, let's recap this game. Of course, I, like as I mentioned, eighty to seventy six, the final score. Duke falls to thirteen and four overall, four and two in the ACC. And we begin as we always do with the headlines. And we had a few headlines in there that I thought were pretty good. John Grantland wrote in, and he wrote, "Rusty and roachless, Duke falls to Pitt." A uh, reference to Jeremy Roach not being in this game. Also, Mark Mitchell did not play for Duke on sa- on uh, Saturday night. So a couple of guys that we were missing out there. Jared Strauss always writes in, always has some really good headlines. Jared writes, Pitt hits tough shots. Duke takes tough loss. Simple, simply plain. Then there's a couple that I think were even more simple. Uh, Jay Netherton wrote pitiful with capital, uh, you know, all caps on the pit portion of that word. And then the K-Man. The K-Man always writes in and always bring some good analysis and good headlines. He just simply wrote the pits because it, it sucks to losing Cameron it always sucks to losing Cameron. But uh, the way that they lost in, in this game felt very frustrating. Sam, I know you get, you still get access to some of these headlines. Uh, you still, you still have access to the email addresses. It's kind of our way of keeping you, keeping you around, so to speak. But did you see any in there that you liked that I uh, didn't get a chance to read? You, you pulled John Grantland's, which is the one that I liked the rusty and roachless. Uh, yeah, I, I still get the, I still get the emails. So, so, uh, I don't necessarily read them all, but if you are in the mood to badmouth me via the emails to Donald and Jason, just know that, you know, I might, I might still show up there. And I think I've responded. I've responded to a couple of them just to, mm-hmm. just to make sure I'm still here. I, yeah, I, I think that the, the reason that I like John's, uh, that it stood out is that, you really felt the absence of Jeremy Roach in this game. We'll we'll talk about the challenge that Duke had, uh, sort of always playing catch up to Pitt and never being able to get a lead. Say what you will about about Jeremy Roach and his inconsistency and and you know the the 
the the occasional frustrations in in watching him be a leader on this team uh he gets buckets and he gets buckets in 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 clutch moments and that's really what duke was missing in this game yeah let's first start out with the good because i think there were some you know pretty good performances from uh individual duke blue devils i want to start with caleb foster because caleb foster 16 points three for five from three six rebounds five assists three steals so we have a 10-5-5 game from caleb foster and I thought throughout the game, he hit some, you know, threes at some very opportune times, ones that we needed. And it felt like his game was a little bit more effortless than it has been. He, he's there's some times where it feels like he's struggling to get his game on the court. And this it felt like he was all over the place uh, with with everything that he was doing. But also just it felt like he was within the flow of his game. He was within the flow of the offense and it felt like everything came much more natural to him than it has in recent games. I, I love what we're seeing from Foster at both ends of the court. And, and we'll talk about some of the, the defensive struggles. Um, but uh, he's, he's attacking really well, taking, like you said, taking good shots and overall three point shooting was, it was a strength for Duke uh, at least for most of this game. I think for the game, just under 40% from three, but, but some of those were desperate. Like some of those, so the last misses were, were desperation shots near the end of the game. But for most of this game, Duke was actually shooting the ball pretty well. Uh, Jared McCain was three for eight from three. Caleb Foster, as you mentioned, three for five. Filipowski, three for six from three. So uh, you like to see the, the shooting there. What we you know, I guess let me let me wait for the bad and say uh, yes on on Caleb Foster. I also thought that Jared McCain um, uh, has been playing not just in this game, but recently uh, has been playing really, you know, mature basketball. Uh, both of these guys seem they, they 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 look like upperclassmen out there on the court. They seem very comfortable in these uh, in these high profile matchups. And as we, I think, previewed at the beginning of the season, um, we like what we're seeing from from those guards development, which is especially crucial given that they're they're both in their own way sort of filling in for Jeremy Roach while he's out. Yeah, and they've had to fill in for Tyrese Proctor when he was out for you know three weeks with injury as well. So the, the fact that both of them, I, I thought when you think about the guys that are were most consistent throughout the game, it was those two. It was McCain and Foster, you know, both from start to finish really provided a lot of scoring. As you mentioned, Jeremy Kane at 20 points, Caleb Foster 16. They provided some defense. They provided some of the the other glue moments like assists and, and rebounds and steals. They were all over the place, it felt like. And it felt like in the absence of Jeremy Roach, we needed one of those guys to step up. And for a lot of the second half, when was, this game was going back and forth, we were relying on Caleb Foster and Jeremy Kane to kind of get us out of it for the most part and, and flip to a certain extent. We'll get to him in just a second. But I think those two have really come on. And like you said, I think they graduated from being freshmen a long while ago uh, when it comes to their play on the court and how much the team is starting to rely on them, um, which I think is contributing a lot to their success. Uh, Do we want to talk about about the bigs? Because I feel like Filipowski and Ryan Young both had both had big highlights in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, some trouble that Duke had on the boards here and, and we can get to, we can get to the rebounding, I think a little bit more in the bad, but scoring wise for Filipowski, he's been great. And Ryan Young providing, you know, it's not like, it's not like Ryan Young is a, is a replacement for Mark Mitchell, but certainly Mitchell's absence creates more minutes for Ryan Young. And it, you know, creates opportunities for Sean Stewart and, and even down the bench, TJ power to get more minutes. 
Um, so Filipowski's uh, offensive production continues to be good. He's not the most efficient player, but he he drags defenders away from everywhere else. So even when he's taking tough shots, and he did have a couple of them in this game, it creates more more open shooting space for those other guards to make threes. In the case of Ryan Young, uh, what I liked is that he was pretty intense during this game. I, I thought he had I thought he had the most. Uh, he, he seemed like he was the most into this game of anybody on the Duke team. I think he was the only guy that that ended up on the floor going after a loose ball, which I assume is harder when you're you know, 6'11", or however big Ryan Young is relative <laughs> to some of these guards. And he um, jumped over he, a guy. I think it was Blake yeah. Kenson was rolling on the ground. And he kind of leapt. Yeah. Or it was Federico Federico, and he kind of leapt over him to grab the ball. He, he ended up going out of bounds, but that's the hustle you want. And he made a couple of, you know, ball going out of bounds, throw it off the other guy plays. Uh, he had my I'll, – I'll preview my play of the game, which is the block that he had in the second half, which got me out of my seat. Uh, <laughs> so – so I, I love the performance from Ryan Young, and there's you know there's there's clearly moments where um, against bigs like like Federico, where Young is going to be outmatched, and there's just sort of nothing he can do about that. But a lot of crafty plays at, at both ends of the court, and at least kept Duke um, a little bit more competitive in in stretches where it felt like Pitt was you know threatening to run away from it, which is a which is a crazy thing to say given you know. Pitt's resume so far through the season and what we saw from Duke against Pitt just a couple weeks ago. You know, you were mentioning the other, you know, the bigs, Kyle Filipowski, 19 points, five rebounds, two assists, one steal, one block. And I think the most incredible stat that I've seen in a long while, he drew nine fouls, nine fouls against, against the Pitt defense, which I think is like ridiculous. Usually if you hear a guy drawing four or five fouls against the other team, that's really good. Most there's most games where some teams don't get more than 15 fouls as a team. And he drew nine of them. So I thought that was really good. He was really, despite his struggles in the first half, he was really you know trying to continue to force the issue, get into his groove. And in the second half, I thought he left, you mentioned behind the arc, he was three for six. And again, a couple of those shots came at really big moments when we were trying to get back into the flow of the game and try and, you know, steal some momentum away from Pitt. Of course, that didn't necessarily happen, but Flip was contributing to that alongside the others, and I thought that was good. Tyrese Proctor, 11 points, 5 rebounds. And I think the reason why I bring up Tyrese Proctor is because there was a point early in the first half where we had a slow start, and we were down about 12 early in the you know middle of the first half. We had a nice run to get back to, you know, tied at 23 and then take the lead. And I think a lot of it, you know, there's a couple of guys rotating it out, but Tyrese Proctor, I thought, was great at kind of Hey, let's get back into this and let's let's really hone down. He used his, you know, vocal leadership to try and get this team back into the, you know, swing of things. And while I didn't think he had the best game, I thought from a leadership standpoint, we needed him to be there to keep this team going. And I thought they fought throughout the whole game, despite the struggles, despite how frustrating it may have been, even in the stands, to watch this team kind of get a lead and give it back and, and go back and forth for the majority of the second half. I thought the fight that we showed to continue to press, to continue to be in the game until the very end, I thought was it uh, was 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 good. And you want to see that fight because sometimes you're going to win those battles. You may lose a couple, right? You you'll you'll get punched in the mouth, but as long as you keep fighting, you're you're always going to have a chance to win a ball game. Let's want to move to the bad because I I, I don't want us to make it sound like we're sugarcoating. Uh, yeah, absolutely. To losing to a to a non tournament team 
at home, a team that Duke had already beaten uh, by a lot. In Can we start with Blake recently. Hansen? Can we start with him, please? Because, w- wow. Uh, tw- it, here's the thing. 24 points, 7 for 7 from 3. He had 8 rebounds. But every single 3, and Sam, you know, check me if I'm wrong, but every single 3, it felt like he had one or two hands in his face. It wasn't open threes that he was making. He was making fall away, step back, to you know, guy in his grill, and was just just nailing shots. And it just felt like every single time the ball went through the hoop, he got you know more and more strength. And he was he was it seemed like he was vocal towards the towards the fans, especially towards the crazies. But that that you know that Popeye spinach that he got was every single three that he jacked up that looked like it was going 30 feet into the stands and somehow just went swish through the net. The thing I found most frustrating about it is that Duke got, like, he, he was he was fired up, right? You could tell even before he jumped on the scorer's table at the end of the game that Henson was pretty fired up. A lot of the, a lot of the guys on Pitt's team were fired up about how well they were playing, Jalen Lowe as well. And... Mm-hmm. What I what I found annoying about it from Duke's perspective is that Duke didn't go after him harder. Uh, they they managed to get a technical on Hinson on on you know he's like complaining. I, I was on the other side of the court, so I couldn't exactly hear what what happened. But but he was he was drawing off at, at everybody. He played with four fouls down the stretch, and Duke managed to just like not get him to foul out, which clearly was the mm-hmm. only way they were going to contain him. Uh, so it was frustrating that that John Shire didn't have the team going harder against Blake Henson. Hands in the face is one thing, but bump him off of the off of the screen a little harder. Um, body him up farther away from the basket. Clearly he's hot, right? He made he made seven threes. By the time he makes his third or fourth in a row, you got to be like, what what are we doing? Body on. We, yeah. we gotta get the ball out of his hands because he's because he's having the hot night. Um I think it speaks to a larger problem that Duke had on defense which was trying to stop Pitt from from shooting those three-pointers um and and I I don't know what the solution is right that there's there's obviously something missing when Duke doesn't have Mitchell and Roach out there two of the better defenders on the team but uh Duke was letting Pittsburgh establish offense Duke was allowing uh was allowing Pitt to get the defensive rebounds to uh, to move the ball up the court quickly and and not um, not giving themselves more chances, low offensive rebounding night for for Duke just four offensive rebounds against um, against twenty three defensive rebounds for Pitt. So it goes back to my my point about a, a general lack of hustle that I was surprised to see on a Saturday night in Cameron in January. But uh, Henson being able to score as much as he did and Duke not getting rebounds at the rate that we would like uh, it is is really a, a tough thing to watch. It it was frustrating for me watching this game, and I rewatched it again uh, because I wanted to go through uh, and really look at some of these details. But it, what frustrated me about how we played against Pitt is that I think the crusher was the fact that sometimes, you know, again, sometimes you have great defense. And the ball still goes in the hoop, and you just go, what, like, what do you do? But again, like you said, once you, that happens three, four, five times in a row, then you have to be like, okay, now I need to do something about it. And we didn't really attack them physically on defense. You know, again, receiving the ball of, of you know three or four feet further out on the perimeter, having guys having just you know, like you said, on that screen, kind of press them out just a little bit more, just to get them off their game. We had a couple of of possessions where it ended in shot clock violations for Pitt 
because we were able to do that and kind of get, make sure they didn't have a shot. But it's interesting that we didn't keep that up throughout the game. And we let them, it, it wasn't just that we let Blake Henson do all that. We let other guys do it too. You mentioned Jalen Lowe. He had 17 points. Ishmael Leggett uh, had 11 points. We lost the turnover battle. There's a lot of things that we we really could have done better. And all of these shots, it wasn't, and it wasn't just Blake Henson making all these shots. Again, you, you mentioned the one Lowe made with like 50 seconds left where he kind of shushed the crowd after he hit it. It, it just felt like those things were like, hey, if you're going to let Blake Henson go off, fine. But you can't let other people beat you too. And in that case, Jalen Lowe was the guy that kind of beat us in this game. So that's, it, it just, I don't know. It just felt like we were off maybe the week, you know, week between games, you know, like you said, kind of gave us a little bit of rust, but it didn't feel like we were rusty. It just felt like we weren't necessarily executing the plays as sharply or as crisply as we normally are. And Pitt was on their side or in again, when they weren't, they were being bailed out by making some ridiculous threes that they probably shouldn't have made. On the offensive side, the the frustration, and again, some of this probably goes back to not having Jeremy Roach there. Uh, although he's certainly capable of of playing one on everybody, is that there was a lot of one on everybody. There was a lot of uh, you know, uncreative passes around the perimeter, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of dribble handoff where it was like, all right, does Kyle Filipowski have a lane to drive? No. Let him you know, dribble a couple times and then and then pass it back around to Tyrese Proctor. Does Tyrese Proctor have a space to drive? No. Give it up to Jared McCain. Does McCain have space to drive? I just don't see a lot of offensive creativity. And and I know that it's in the minds of the coaches, right? Because John Shire was not a guy when he was in school that could get away with, you know, dribbling around on the perimeter and waiting for space to to open up so that he could you know, so that he could rush by guys. That was not his game. He didn't have that ability. Uh, mm-hmm. He knows how to design better offense than we saw there. So I don't know if it's that John Shire is choosing to be uncreative or if it's that the, the players are not, um, you know, are not all on the same page, but the offensive play calling and, and execution needs to improve. Uh, there were... It, Pitt doesn't have, you know, Pitt has some athletes. We we know that there are guys on on Pitt's team that are capable of of playing great defense, but we know that Pitt is not um, is not the best in the ACC at this. And and Duke has enough offensive firepower and enough strength and athleticism and quickness that there should be a lot more creative offense going on than what we saw on Saturday. I think the one place where there there's two things. One, we we haven't mentioned Mark Mitchell that much and what was missing, but that defensive pressure was definitely missing, particularly on the perimeter and even on the inside in in many cases. And missing Mark Mitchell was important because, again, I feel like a lot of those threes may not have happened or they may have had to pass them up for something else. There's a lot of possessions I feel like Pitt would not have ended the way they did had there been a Mark Mitchell on the floor. I think in the case of Jeremy Roach, what was most missing was the clutch cheat. And not even just down the stretch, but the ability to take over a game, the ability to know that, hey, if Jeremy Roach has the ball in his hands, he can get to the basket, he can get his shot, maybe even you know draw contact, get an and one, but it forces everyone to key in on him, which opens up the floor for everybody else. So when sometimes we see Cal Filipowski go off late, or we see Tyrese Proctor go off late, it's because the floor has to be open because everyone knows that number three is there, and number three wasn't. And I think in the absence of, of Jeremy Roach, 
it didn't feel like there was a one guy that could really step up to make Pitt believe, oh, this is going to be the guy. We have to stop him and open up the floor for everybody else. It, it just seemed like Pitt was was saying, hey, none of these guys are going to be able to get it done. None of these guys are going to be able to take over the game. And in the case of Kyle Filipowski, he's not going to bring the ball up and do it himself. He has to be in a position where he can receive the ball in an entry pass for him to do his thing. So him being the point center is not going to help situation either. So I'm not sure if the answer is just bring, you know, get Jeremy Roach back healthy. We need to have somebody be able to step up in those situations whenever somebody's out. It doesn't necessarily have to be Jeremy Roach. It doesn't have to be Mark Mitchell. But if somebody is missing, we need others to step up and do the things that that guy did well while also maintaining and not sacrificing what puts them on the floor as well. Don't, you know, don't let Jeremy Kane sacrifice the three-point shot for distributing a ball that Jeremy Roach would do. Don't let, you know, Caleb Foster sacrifice what he does well to pick up some of the responsibilities that Jeremy Roach or Mark Mitchell leave behind. That's the key here, and we haven't quite mastered that. So with that, we're going to leave that here. First off, before we get to break, play of the game. I think you mentioned yours, uh, Sam, but go ahead and tell the people. What was your play of the game? It was I can't remember who it was, but Ryan Young had a had an awesome block that resulted in him him getting the ball back and starting a fast break that unfortunately then did not lead to more points. But uh, I, I talked about how Ryan Young had the energy to match what was going on in Cameron on Saturday, and and it didn't seem like most of the other guys did. So I've got my my play of the game goes to Ryan Young. So that was a good one. I think mine was uh, Kyle Filipowski. He had that George Gervin Iceman Cook type of of finger roll. In the second half, where he drew contact on Blake Henson, got the and one. Um, I thought that was smooth. I did not know he had that in his bag. I didn't. I don't know if he's been watching uh, any, you know, George Gervin highlights on YouTube. But uh, it was very, very Iceman esque uh, with that finger roll. So I thought that was cool. We also have Player of the Week, Sam. This was the only game this week that we have available. Uh, so who is your Player of the Player of the Week? Really, play of the game. You uh, you brought him up at the top. I'll give it to Caleb Foster. Um, not that like I, I sort of told you that I don't think that anybody save for Ryan Young had had all the right energy in this game, but I thought that Foster executed a lot. And if uh, you know if everyone was making shots like he was, Duke Duke maybe wins this game. Yeah, for me, it's Caleb Foster. He had a ten five five game. He was two steals away from a ten five 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 game. When you fill the stats up like that and provide offense. You're getting my player of the week. So uh, especially for this game, Caleb Foster, our player of the week. Hey, let's leave it here. We have another game to look forward to Louisville. We head to the Yum Center tomorrow. We will preview that after a quick break. Stick around. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when... Stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. 
That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. All right, we are back, and we leave Pitt in the rear view, and now we get ready for the Louisville Cardinals. We travel to Louisville, to the KDFC Yum Center, Tuesday night to play them. It is one of these games that, by itself, we're like, what are we What are we about to do here? We're previewing arguably the worst team in the ACC. They are 6-12. and 12. They are 1-6 and six in the conference. They are 194th in Ken Palm. But when we think about how we played on Saturday against Pitt, we have to turn around and think, how do we rebound against the Cardinal in a game that clearly they're going to be up for? They may not be the best team on paper, but we have to bring it against Louisville because this has turned into kind of an important game, especially when you consider the ACC standings and how clogged up they are towards the top. If you want to get into that top four and get the bye, you have to win these games. These are the type of games that there, there should be no-brainers. You need to take care of business. But let's preview what Louisville brings to the table. First off, again, I mentioned 6-12. and 12, Their wins against UMBC, Coppin State, New Mexico State, Bellarmine, Pepperdine, and their lone ACC win is against Miami, a, a big win for them on the road down there in Coral Gables. But the worst losses of the year, Chattanooga, DePaul, and Arkansas State, they just lost on Saturday to Wake Forest by 25 on the road. And, of course, now they host Duke after Duke loses to Pitt in the game that we all thought Duke should have won. So, Sam, turn to you. Looking at Louisville, what what needs to happen for Duke to get back on track? Really not much because, it, uh, like, we, we can't overstate how, how bad Louisville is. Uh, maybe they're slightly improved from last year. They've already they've already beaten their win total. From There's last nowhere year, to go but, but up from there. Yeah, four and twenty eight last year. But you already you already mentioned all the all the teams they've beaten. They've beaten one school that you know you could you could confidently uh, find on a map. Uh, and and Kenny Payne somehow still has a job there, which doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know if anyone else has knows knows what knows what Kenny Payne knows that that has kept him in this job for this long. Um, I would hope that. The the shock of Duke losing at home against a team like Pittsburgh is enough to have focused the team. Like we're we're talking on Monday afternoon. I would like to think that all the stuff that we're talking about has already been addressed in practice. So mm-hmm. uh, this, I, I I'd say like, look, you can you can look at Louisville and you can look at some of the guys for them who have who have been big contributors this year. Tyler Johnson, um, so, some of these other players. None of that should matter. Uh, Duke Duke should win. Duke should win this game going away. Louisville's lost a bunch of games in the Yum Center this year uh, by by a lot of points. And so even if Duke doesn't have Roach and Mitchell back, and I don't think we have an indication that either of them are, are expected to return on Tuesday, at least nothing that I've seen, um, just getting their heads screwed back on straight after the loss to Pitt uh, should, be, should be enough to motivate Duke to a victory uh, against the Cardinals. 
you know, uh, famously, of course, as you know, I'm a Detroit Pistons fan, and famously when they were in the middle of their long 28-game losing streak, Kyle Kuzma from the Washington Wizards said, at this point, you don't want to be that team. You don't want to be that team that loses to the team that's really bad. Of course, naturally, the Washington Wizards. I'm sorry, Sam. They lost to the Pistons earlier this week. Right after I'm not, I'm, I'm said not that. here. I'm not here trying to defend uh, trying to defend the Wizards. Uh, just like you should look, you don't have to be defending the Pistons. Uh, you can be you can be very proud of all the other all the other sporting achievements going on in the state of Michigan <laughs> this year, uh, and you can just pretend that, that the Pistons don't exist. The, well, hey, as they say, you know. Thanos said, what what happened? The Lions are in the NFC Championship game. What did it cost us? The Detroit Pistons. Uh, but I digress. I, I think when you when it talks, when you come to Louisville, like you said, last year, a historically bad team. This year, they are a improved bad team, but they're still a bad team. And when you look at the metrics, and, and I know Jason goes through these metrics, so I'm going to go through some of them. Bottom 100 in, in offensive uh, effective field goal percentage. 175th in offense, 244th in defense bottom 50 and allowing teams to get assists on them. Like these sort of things, like they don't pass the ball around a lot, but they allow teams to shoot 53% from the floor on them. They allow teams to move the ball around and average close to 55% on assists. This is something where what we do great falls really in line with beating the pants off of Louisville, but it means nothing if we don't bring that energy and intensity. The one thing that I worry about with these road games is what we've done every year. feels like every single road game we go to, we have a slow start. The other team has a fast start and we can't overcome that. We need to get off the ground running. We cannot give Louisville any chance of thinking that this is a Cinderella upset in the works. We need to get them out of their game immediately. Arguably Donald is what happened against Pitt, right? Do let Pitt go out to a nine Oh lead uh, John Shire had to call timeout before Duke scored a bucket in, mm-hmm. in the game on Saturday. Uh, I, you know, I know that John Shire doesn't have uh, Mike Krzyzewski's, uh what's the word for it? A temperament. Mm-hmm. But, but I hope for the player's sake that John Shire doesn't have to call timeout before Duke scores a basket uh, on Tuesday night. Yeah. Again, if you take out that first three minutes of the ball game, Duke, Duke wins that ball game by five, but you can't again. You can't give teams good bad start. I'm sorry. You can't give teams a, a way to get into this game early. We cannot start out slow. We need guys to be on their game from the moment they get off the bus until the moment they get back on it at the end of the game. I think the one thing that I'm looking at when you see this team, this team isn't very big. They have a lot of six five, six seven guys. Uh, they have a couple guys that are six ten, but really for the most part, we're looking at our perimeter defense has to be on point. Tyrese Proctor has to lead by example. If, if Jeremy Roach is not there, then you got Jeremy Kane and, and Caleb Foster. Another chance for them to not be freshmen. And this is uh, this is the key here is those guys need to really bring it when it comes to the perimeter defensive pressure. If they don't, you have a couple of guys that can make threes. Mike James can hit, hit a couple of threes. Curtis Williams can hit a couple of threes. But at the end of the day, again, we have struggled on the road because we have come out lethargic, especially against teams that we should not be, you know, in the gym with. We should not be letting them into the game. Louisville is going to come out with everything they got in this game. This is going to be one of those games that, especially for Kenny Payne, you mentioned that is very lucky. He's probably counting his stars that he is still the head coach of the Louisville Cardinals. This is the game that could get him right back into right back off of that hot seat, at least for a while, uh, beating Duke. And so if we have a situation where we can put them out of their misery early. We need to do it and we need to keep doing it the rest of the game. 
Sam, anything else in Louisville before we wrap up? No, let's uh, let's get to that one one news item that we we're going to do before we before we get out of here. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a really cool story. Um, Tara Vanderveer, she is the women's basketball head coach of the Stanford Cardinal. Last night, they defeated Oregon State sixty-five to fifty-six. Why am I mentioning this game? It was her twelve hundred and third win as a college coach, passing Coach K for the most by coach in NCAA history. 1,203 wins from Stanford, Idaho, and Ohio State. 27 Pac-12 regular season titles, 14 tournament titles, four Big Ten titles, 13 Final Fours, three national championships, a gold medal, and a partridge in a pear tree. But Tara Vanderveer is now the most prolific coach from wins in NCAA history, passing Coach K. I know last night they had a ceremony after the game, and Coach K, among others, uh, provided a, a, a a video statement uh, celebrating her accomplishment. But I just wanted to shout that out because we were lucky that we had the goat on the Duke sidelines for 42 years. Tara Vanderveer is a goat in her own right. And for her to pass the legendary coach K, uh, I think is a tremendous accomplishment. I know uh, Gina Ariema is right behind her, maybe five or six wins behind her. So this may happen again very soon, but I, I just want to give Tara her flowers uh, because passing coach K is, is a tremendous accomplishment and is, if there's any coach who has done it with the class um, that is required, Tara Vanderveer is that coach. And she was at Indiana. I don't know if she if she overlapped um, in school with when Mike Shashevsky. Uh, I guess uh, Coach K wouldn't have wouldn't have ever worked at Indiana, but they're both they're both Bob Knight people because um, mm-hmm. Coach K was with Bob Knight at Army before he moved over to Indiana. Tara Vanderveer was a um, was at Indi- was a student at Indiana. Um, yeah. Uh, and and got to observe Bob Knight and and learn from him. So so they're both in their own way part of the part of the Bob Knight coaching tree. But uh, yeah, like you said, uh, very cool uh, and and cool that that Coach K was part of the celebration, being in the video and and congratulating her. So uh, you know the, we there, there's no uh, there's no rivalry here. Um, it's just it's just cool accomplishments and and uh, by all accounts, Tara Vanderveer, someone who. Uh, you know, who inspires a lot of young people to to succeed and, and has an enormous coaching tree of her own, which is extremely cool. And now, at least on the women's side, we're probably going to see kind of a race back and forth between her and Gina Ariema for the next however many years until both whoever decides to, to maybe walk away first, the other one might give another year. But I don't think that record's going to be broken uh, by anybody anytime soon. Maybe John Shire in another 45 years if he's still the coach. John Shire better 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 get back to not losing a pit at home uh if he wants to break any all-time coaching wins records. That would definitely help. But uh no, seriously, from all of us here, congratulations to Tara Vanderveer on your 1203rd win passing the GOAT. Again, GOATs passing GOATs. We love that here on the DBR podcast. That will do it for episode number 584. Sam, thank you so much for being here. I know Jason misses you. We miss you. The lights always on for you, man. Come on home whenever it's uh it, it it's always a good time. So so thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you out there again, get your headlines in after Louisville game, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We will look forward to doing that on the next show, which will come up so, probably Wednesday. So look for your feeds there uh for the next show. We'll have Wait, another Donald, guest on there. Mm-hmm. Donald, I uh so this is now the second game that I've been to in Cameron this year. Second game that I've seen Duke lose this year. Uh I did I did see Duke play. Uh, in New York against Baylor, which was a victory, but mm-hmm. I'll make I'll make the folks a promise I won't go back to Cameron this year. All right, I'm over two. That's pretty oh, bad. Self ban. 
Yeah, self ban. I can't go back. So don't don't tell me you have extra tickets. I can't go. We'll try this again next year. The, continue to send emails about extra tickets to Sam. Emails uh, to Sam yeah, will pass. Yeah. yeah. Tell Donald. <laughs> Donald. Donald loves to go. Donald's not cursed. Uh, you know, if the game is somewhere else, great. Um, you know, I haven't looked at the uh, NCAA tournament sites for this year, et cetera. But but uh, I'm not going back to Cameron this year. Well, we'll leave it there. That that. Sam, Sam is the curse. He is self-banned. We should be fine from here on out. But again, this is episode number 584 of the DBR podcast. Thank you as always for listening. And now it is time for the Duke band to play us out and take us home. East Regionals in Boston. Maybe I'll see you there. Boom. Boom.